I want to just uh, speak to us for half an hour or so, and my message is called Life in the Overlap, which will become a little clear uh, as we go through, if you're taking notes. We're going to be in uh, the book of First Thessalonians, uh, chapter 4, initially, and then we're going to read a little bit from Romans chapter 13 as well. And I uh, just felt God lead me to these passages. There's a lot of Bible we're going to cover, okay? And I hope you're up for that. I hope you feel you have a Bible with you. We're going to read uh, verses 16 from chapter 4 uh, onwards through to verse 11 of chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is what the Apostle Paul writes to this church in, uh, in Greece, called Th- in a place called Thessalonica, uh, which is a place you can still go to today. And uh, it's a church where they are knowing some pressure uh, to uh, give up on the faith. There's, a, there's a, a culture around them which is going one way and they want to go the other way. And this is the situation in which uh, Paul is writing to them. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Everyone say the word encourage. Encourage. I'm going to come back to that. Now, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there is peace and security... Then sudden destruction will come upon them, as labour pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. <coughs> For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, dead or alive, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. And then we're just going to flip to Romans chapter 13, a, a, a kind of similar passage to this that we've just read in, uh, in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5. We're going to read verse 11 uh, onwards. Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armour of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarrelling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Shall we pray as we dig into this together? Father, would you help us? As we open up your word together, would you deeply strengthen us and teach us things, Lord, that will stay with us for the rest of our lives? Would this be a moment where we do business with the living God? Amen. Amen. So Paul, in these passages, 
is speaking to the church in Rome and in this, this church in Thessalonica and saying, you know some things. There's some things that you know. You don't need more details, is what he's saying. There's, there's some things that you are fully aware of. He assumes that they are fully aware of some things pertaining to the return of Jesus Christ. I don't think this is something that we focus on much in 2022, but it seems to me that when I read the New Testament and all these letters from these apostles, and I read the Gospels, these accounts of Jesus' life and teaching, I think there was an awful lot of talk about Jesus coming again. And I think we lose sight of that, maybe for some reasons we'll come on to in just a moment. But the kind of language that Paul uses, he talks of the day of the Lord quite a lot. He talks about it in places like Philippians, he talks about it in Thessalonians a lot. In every chapter of Thessalonians, he talks about the return of Jesus Christ. He talks about it in Romans, he talks about it in 1 Corinthians, he talks about it in a lot of his letters. He wanted the churches that he served to be aware of something crucial, that Jesus is going to return. And this is something that these folks were well-rooted in, well-grounded in. Now, we're aware, of course, that Jesus is coming again. I don't think that's a surprise to any of you. Uh, I don't think that's something that's necessarily new. But if you go looking for it, it's there again and again and again in the Scriptures. And as we really take this to our hearts, and I hope that I will help to serve to do that in this message, uh, it really should affect and change the way that we live our lives. It really will make us uh, to kind of live the kind of radical lives that we see some of the believers lived in the New Testament age. Dare I say it, we're maybe a bit put off from thinking about Jesus' return because uh, it's complex. And we maybe look at things like uh, the book of Revelation and we think, I don't understand a lot of this. I like the bits that we've heard read out in the worship time about Jesus being worthy. I like those songs that are sung, but I don't understand a lot of it, and therefore I just, I'm just going to put it to one side. I'm going to focus on the bits that I do understand. Maybe we've kind of come across some people who are kind of a bit nutty, and who um, are way too into the details, and who kind of want to pair up current day events with this particular obscure thing that's happening in Revelation, and it always somehow ends up being all about America. I don't know why, but there we go. Um, and maybe we think, oh, I'm just going to leave the, what about the end times to the nut jobs. They can get on with that if they want to, but I'm, I don't want to go there. Well, maybe it's simply the case that we don't really like the idea of possibly having our plans interrupted. Maybe we've got some things mapped out in our lives and we think, I don't really like the idea of Jesus coming like a thief in the night, unannounced, not kind of with a big countdown timer in the sky. That would be really helpful, actually. If I could have maybe a 20-year countdown time in the sky, then I'd live in a certain way. We don't kind of like the idea of him coming in and potentially interrupting the plans that we've made and and maybe somehow kind of, uh, yeah, spoiling some things that we want to do in our lives because we think that's going to be better than what it will be when we are finally with Jesus. Or maybe... We're just really weary. Uh, Maybe just the kind of, the energy that that is required in terms of living uh, for Jesus in an age and a a culture where people don't want to live for him has made us weary. And we're just in this place where we're just bombarded with stuff all of the time that is just going against everything that we know that 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 Jesus is all about. And we're just weary. And I just felt even as I was uh, planning this message, there will be some who, it's like you're being slowly suffocated of oxygen. You know when you put a lid on a candle? There's a little while before that candle goes out. There's a dimming light. I felt that there would be some here today, and that's your situation, that you're actually in a place where 
I'm just weary. I'm just weary of trying its effort. And I, as opposition wherever I look, and I don't even really want to think about uh, the future. And maybe these kind of things have come into your, to your thinking. I want to strengthen you today with these truths. I want to strengthen you today with the truths of Jesus' return. This is, this is meant to strengthen us, friends. The fact that Jesus is going to return, the fact that he will return, it's a sure and certain reality, is meant to strengthen us and embolden us. And I don't think too many of us are well-rooted enough in this truth, like Paul the Apostle was, and like the early believers were. Now, when, when Paul talks about the time... He talks about, remember, the times in which we live. He's talking about the same time in which we live now. This in-between time. This time between Jesus having come into the world and the time between then and Jesus' return. So the time in which Paul lived is the time in which we live. It's the same, okay? There's the same kinds of things going on. There's opposition to the message of Jesus. There's pressure to go another way. There's all kinds of difficulties and oppositions. It's the same time. But he doesn't think of the time only in negative terms. Like night and darkness and evil and depression and decay and death. It's true that those things abound. Like we know that that's going on in the world. It's totally happening. But for Paul, that was no longer the main truth. Okay, for Paul, that, that those headlines of death and darkness and decay and depression, those headlines were no longer the main truth. It's not to be the main truth for us. Because for Paul, the main truth was that the day had begun to break forth. The day had started to dawn. Maybe tomorrow some of you will be up early enough to see the dawn of the new day, the new year. Uh, we've, we've got, we're on the east coast here. We're in the most easterly point of the UK here. And so therefore we might, if we want to, get up and see the sun rising before anyone else in the UK could. And you'll get a great view, uh, hopefully, of the sun coming up. You won't even have to get up that early, to be honest, because it's winter. Uh, I think it's going to be like 7, 7.30, something like that. You'll start to see the, the light coming through. There'll be a dramatic moment where all is dark, and then suddenly you just start to see the, 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 the light just starting to break through. It might be uh, faint at, at first, but then suddenly light begins to appear. And Paul is saying in these passages... That that has happened in this earth. That although there's darkness, although there's death, and all these awful things that we wish weren't here, the, the day has begun to break. That's the main truth that he has kind of has gripped him. That the day has begun to break and that we belong to that new day that is dawning. We belong to that. That new day that is certainly dawning. He says in verse 4 of 1 Thessalonians 5, You are not in darkness. You are not in darkness. You live in a very dark age. You live in a sinful time. But that is not the main reality for you. If you're a Christian, the day has come. Light has come. Jesus has come. Jesus, the light of the world, has come into the darkness. And he's the one who will save us from this dark present age. And he's the one who will be the blazing sun at the centre of the age that is to come. He's the one. There'll be no need for a sun because he'll be the one who is the blazing light in the centre of all things in the age to come. Jesus has come and he will certainly come again. And we live in between those two times. We live in between the time of his first coming and of his coming again. We've kind of lived in 
and in between time these last few days, right? Between Christmas and New Year. They call it Twixtmas. I found that out yesterday from Rachel's Instagram. It's, uh, it, anyone knew it was called Twixtmas? Anyone knew that? No? So we've been in Twixtmas these last few days where we don't know what day it is, okay? Most days, you don't know what the day is. You've got no idea. A couple of celebrations makes for a worthy breakfast. And we might stay in our pyjamas until midday. And then you think, I've got to get out of these pyjamas. That's kind of, we were in between times in this, in this week. No, no one knows what's going on. And similarly, we're in this millennia-long kind of in-between time, this twixtmas, as it were, between two uh, major events. We live in the overlap. That's the kind of main reason why I call this life in the overlap. We live in this overlapping time where Jesus has come into the world, the new day has started to dawn, but we haven't seen it fully rise yet over all the earth because we've got this strange thing going on that, yes, Jesus has come, the kingdom of God has arrived, eternal life has come, but we still have darkness and death and decay in the world. Paul has com- can confidently say in places like 1 Corinthians uh, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has, go- has gone and the new has come. There's not the new will one day come. No, it has come. We're, we're in that already, but we've, we've yet to know it in its fullness. Jesus says in, in Mark chapter 1, the kingdom of God is at hand. The time is fulfilled. So the kingdom of God has come. And people are, are entering into the kingdom of God right across the world, even today. But it's not, we've not known the, the kingdom fully uh, uh, outworked, as it were, whilst there's still death and, and depression and sadness and tears known in this world. The writer to the Hebrews, whoever that would have been, says in Hebrews 6.15 that we've tasted of the powers of the age to come. So the age, the age to come has kind of arrived, but it's not here in all its fullness yet. Do you understand? Are you with me on this? We're in this kind of overlap time. The mystery of the kingdom of God is that the kingdom has arrived, and the age of sin and pain and death did not immediately cease. But the sure promise is that the age to come, the reign of righteousness, the kingdom of God, the new creation, eternal life, will one day hold sway with no sin, with no death, with no addiction, with no depression present. But the mystery is that there's this overlap between the fallen age of sin and pain and death and the new age that's coming into the world. That's the time we live in. Now here's the key thing. Knowledge of the time in which we live should cause us to live differently. It should cause us to live radically. And it's fair to say that the Apostle Paul lived a radical life. Uh, Probably, uh, well certainly, I think, aside from Jesus Christ, no one has lived a more radical life than the Apostle Paul after he came to know Jesus. He lived a radical life, but I expect we don't really want the kind of life that Paul had. I I think we we sometimes sing quite bold things, but I don't think we really want the kind of life that Paul had with shipwrecks and imprisonments and regular beatings and kind of not really knowing if you go into one city whether you're going to get arrested and maybe executed. I, I think we kind of don't really want that to some degree, but we do want our lives to count, don't we? We want our lives to count, however many years God might have for us, whether it might be hopefully for most of us here, another 40 or 50 years, some of us less. Some of us who are even younger here, it might be less. But we want those years, however many God gives us, 
We want them to count. We want them to count, don't we? We want them to count for the things that really matter. Key to this is to understand the times in which we live, to really understand it, that the night has gone and that the day is at hand. Even though it feels like the night is still here and we're in complete darkness, no, the day is at hand. If you were to watch the sunrise over the sea tomorrow, you would see a glimpse of light. And as soon as you see that glimpse of light, you know that it can't go into reverse. Okay, the, the, it's a sure and certain uh, inevitability that the sun is going to rise and that daytime will come. Listen, that crack of light has already appeared in the world. And it's a sure and certain inevitability that the light will o- completely overcome the darkness. And the darkness will be banished completely. It's a sure and certain inevitability. It may only take a couple of hours tomorrow. It may have taken a couple of millennia so far. But to, to the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. We, we, we can't get our heads around the fact that God is, is outside of time, and he sees time differently to us. But it's a sure and certain thing that Jesus' light has broken into the world, that night is over, that day is coming. And some of you just need to be strengthened with that. It's very simple. It's not a very complex message. But you need to be strengthened with that today. If you're weary, if you're feeling like, I've just been pushing against something that has just been, I'm going in one direction here, and everyone else seems to be going in the opposite direction, and I'm just exhausted from it, be strengthened by the truth that the day will surely win that the light will surely overcome the darkness that one day there will be a time where there is no more of all of the things that we uh, cause us sorrow and grief it will come to pass jesus's victory as he rose from the grave means that it is sealed his his victory as he rose from the grave spelt the end of this fallen age he defeated sin and pain and satan and death the decisive battle is over. The kingdom of God has broken out in the world. And all of this will be fully known to us who have faith in Jesus. And Paul says in that, those verses in Romans, our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Your salvation is nearer now than when you pumped in the sat-nav coordinates for this place earlier on today. Your salvation is nearer now than it was when I started this message. It's, it's near, it's growing nearer day by day. And our salvation has of course come already in so many significant ways. We've celebrated it already in our worship that our sins have been forgiven. Our conscience has been cleansed. Our guilt has been removed from us. Jesus has done it for us on the cross. We have been justified made right with God just as if we had never sinned we've been adopted into the family of God so our salvation in so many wonderful beautiful ways has come but there's salvation for us still to know our salvation will be fully known when we are done with sin when we're done with disease when we're done with discouragement and depression and dependency on things that we think will satisfy us and doubt and despair when we're done with all of these things and most of all when we're done with seeing Jesus only like we look in a mirror dimly our salvation will come when we see him face to face totally clearly no nothing hindering us our salvation will come when we see him face to face and listen Jesus will be the very very best thing about eternity 
He will be, as I said, the blazing sun at the centre of it all. He who, one writer, Michael Reeves, says, Jesus has satisfied the heart and the mind of God the Father for all eternity. What makes us think that we're going to somehow get bored of him? (laughs) He says our our spiritual boredom is simply blindness. Because Jesus has satisfied the heart and and the mind of God the Father for all eternity. And we're going to get to see him face to face. We're going to get to walk with him, talk with him. Won't that be amazing? We're going to see the champion of heaven day to day. Go and talk with him. Just like we talk to a friend. There's going to be nothing hindering that relationship. No sin from our part. No lack of clarity about who Jesus is. We're going to see him face to face. And each and every day, is, I love the, uh, the, the Narnia story which says each and every day will be better than the last. You know, each and every chapter more glorious than the last. Some of us just need to be infused with that hope. Every day of your groaning, every day of, of life where you're finding it so hard and you're saying, how long, Lord? It's gonna get, it's, our salvation is getting closer and closer with each and every day. Seeing Jesus. And in light of all this, our lives are to look different. That's the, that's the pattern of the epistles. When you read them, the, the, Paul and the other apostles, they expound great truths. And they say, now then, this is how you're to live. In light of this, this is how you're now to live. It's not, do this, and then these things will be true of you. It's not, do this, and then you'll be accepted by God. No, it's, this is what he's done for you. This is what he will do for you. And now, in light of this, is now how we're to live. And so in light of this, given that the day is at hand... This is an hour for being awake, not asleep. I know it's warm and stuffy in here, and we might be feeling sleepy. But this is an hour, this is a day. Our lives are not to be lived asleep, lulled by the, the lullabies of the world, as it were. All the vain things that are going to go on tonight in the name of a good time. All the dressing up, trying to look as good as possible in order to attract people of the opposite sex the head full of regret the next day, all of the things that the world might be running after, that we are screamed at every day, you need this, you really need this. Sometimes it's not in any way subtle. And we've been sold for the last six to eight weeks, you need these things in order to have the perfect Christmas and in order to have the life that will mean you're smiling all of the time. And then you have the somehow perfect Christmas and the cosy feeling by the fire and then what happens you need to go to the Boxing Day sales because you haven't had enough it doesn't satisfy it doesn't fulfill it doesn't bring us to the place that we want to be at where we're satisfied we're sold that this is true living and then we're lulled by the world spend our lives sleeping sleepwalking that's what's going on in the world sleepwalking Do you want to be sleepwalking through life or do you want to be wide awake as to the reality of the daytime? Do you want to be wide awake as to the reality of the day having broken forth? Do we want to be awake in the the dawning rays of the age to come where everything we were told we needed, everything we were told would satisfy, looks really rubbish in comparison to seeing Jesus? It will look foolish. It will. All the things that we think... I need to, so after Boxing Day sales, it's now, now you need a gym membership because you need to have the perfect body. You need to look a certain way. You need to, to, to be able to attract people around. All these things, you've been sold. You need to have this, this, and this. It's all going to look foolish in the light of seeing Jesus, the real deal. It's going to look completely worthless. If only, if only we could see things 
from God's perspective. If only we could see things as he sees them. We've got our, our children, this is my wife Sarah here. We've got our, our three children with us uh, this weekend and they are a delight, they're lots of fun. We love them to bits. But contrary to what you might see in these next two days, they are not perfect, okay? And sometimes they bicker and squabble about things that are just downright ridiculous and hilarious. And me and Sarah, sometimes we're so cross, but we're also laughing because we think, how are you fighting over this thing? Fighting over things that just seem so unimportant to 35-year-olds, like Lego and, you know, whether to watch Boss Baby or How to Train Your Dragon, like these sorts of things that you, you shouldn't be squabbling over this. It's completely, in the grand scheme of things, it's completely unimportant. And listen, it's, it's, it's like that, that when we get the perspective of the age in which we live, when we get the perspective of, we're no longer in darkness, the day has come. There's a, there's a future and an eternity ahead of us. We, we start to see some of the things for what they really are. Some of the things that seem to be so, we need to have them, when actually, in the light of all that God has done and all is doing, they're not important. So this is, this is Paul's secret. It's the perspective that he has. He, he kind of seems to hold two things always before him. On the one hand, the cross and resurrection of Jesus, and on the other hand, his sure and certain return. This is what seems to be before Paul's eyes, seemingly all the time in his life. The cross, what Jesus has done for him, the Son of God who loved him and gave himself up for him so that he might be forgiven. This Paul was a murderer, remember? He was a, a guy who had people thrown in prison, beaten, tortured, killed on, the, on account of their faith in Jesus. And so he, he has the cross of Jesus always before him and the resurrection where Jesus defeated death once and for all. He has, on the one hand, the cross and resurrection always before him, but always before him, he has this sure and certain hope of Jesus, the champion of heaven, returning. It loomed large in his view, the, the sky-splitting moment of Jesus' return, the trumpet sound. This loomed large in his view. The King of Kings, Lord of Lords, you read about it right at the beginning of Revelation, this warrior returning on a horse with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords tattooed on his leg and the, the sound of his voice is like the sound of rushing waters. We're going to hear the sea tonight or tomorrow and just hear the amazing power of the sea. This is like his voice echoing through the world, his eyes blazing like fire, his feet like bronze, his hair white like wool. This Jesus, no longer uh, Jesus in the manger, no longer Jesus in, in apparent defeat on the cross but Jesus victorious is returning to this earth he's coming again and he will be so glorious the sight of him will be glorious utterly captivating the things that we've looked on in this life that we thought wow that's incredible will pale into comparison to Jesus when we see him for who he is it's going to be magnificent these were in constant view for Paul the cross and resurrection and Jesus' return and we're good at singing about the cross and resurrection. I wonder if we can sing more songs about the return of Jesus. We used to sing songs like, bow down to his authority, for he has slain the enemy. And from heaven and hell he holds the key. Jesus is Lord. Maybe we need to sing some more songs like this. Because I think, like the Thessalonians, we can be very discouraged sometimes. And we can feel like, man, this is impossible. I've got to do this for another 50 years? Are you kidding me? We need to sing songs about the hope that we have in Jesus' return. We must sing of his victory and of his return. He's coming again. We need to have his return in out the view of our minds. 
We need to see, I don't belong to this age any longer. I belong to the age that has broken out in this world and it's the age to come in all its fullness. I need to throw off some things. That's the uh, application that Paul brings. So we throw off some clothes that don't fit anymore, that are not befitting of the age in which we've been brought into. Like you may have done in this week, we thought, it's midday, I'm still in my PJs, I need to get these off, because it's daytime now, it's not nighttime anymore. There needs to be some things, I think today, even that we might throw off, and we might say, in light of this great truth, in light of what's going to come to pass, in light of the sure, certain reality of Jesus' return in total victory, I'm going to throw off some things. And it may be even right now the Holy Spirit is just laying some things on you, just gently, just saying, this is what you need to throw off. And it's some things that we need to then put on. Paul says, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armour of light. God has woken us up. He's shown us that we're, we're actually in a battle. We're awake now to the battle that we're in and we need armour to put on. And Paul in the Thessalonians uh, passage that we read at the beginning, he talks about since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. Faith, love and hope. This is, this is what, what does this even look like? Sometimes you hear about the armour of God, things like this, and you think, what does that even look like? Well, faith and love and hope, this is nothing short of rejoicing in and glorying in Jesus, that we might grow in our faith in Jesus, that we might grow in our hope in Jesus, that we might grow in our love for Jesus. Listen, if, if we can go through these two days, and yeah, we're going to go through the gears in prayer, I'm excited about that. But if it, at the end of it we've grown in our love for Jesus, we've grown in our, our hope in Jesus and all that he's going to do, we've grown in our, our trust and our faith in Jesus, I'll be delighted. I'll be really delighted. We need to keep coming back to Jesus. Paul talks about, in verse 14 of Romans 13, putting on Christ. We keep coming back to finding that he's all we need. We keep coming back to the heart of worship. We keep coming and saying, it's all about you, Jesus. And finally, to do this, we need to encourage each other. We need to encourage each other. This, this word encourage comes up again and again in, Thess- in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5. Encourage each other. A key New Testament expectation is that a big part of your calling is that you are going to be an encourager. It's a, it's a key thing. It's, it's, it's all over. You look, at it, you look out for it, it's everywhere. To encourage each other. Maybe you're wondering, what am I called to? Hopefully God will speak to you in different ways. Maybe this weekend and in the months and years to come, he might start to, st- start to show you where he wants you to be giving your time and energies. And he may have different places for you to go to. But it's very clear that part of your calling is to be an encourager. It's so abundantly clear to encourage one another. You need to know that you're called to encourage others. It's inescapable. If you want to know who to encourage, well, anyone who has a pulse, really. <laughs> Look around you. There's people here you can encourage even this weekend. If someone is a believer and they are breathing, you go and encourage them. 
that's, that's the, the heart of these verses. You encourage people with the truth of this passage. You encourage people to look to Jesus. Encourage people to see all that he's done and all that he will do. Give them scriptures to encourage them. Pray for them. Build them up with prophetic words that you feel maybe God's given you a word for them. Encourage them by showing up. Showing up, friends, is a big way we can encourage each other. And I guess this is applicable for when we go from this place, but showing up at life group, showing up to Sunday gathering, showing up to things that you say you're going to go to. It says in Hebrews 10, let us not give up meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another all the more day by day as you see the day of his return drawing near. So we don't go to church to somehow tick off a uh, I've done my religious duty for the week, I've kept God happy, <laughs> or I've kept the pastor happy. We go because we want to encourage people. We go to build and strengthen up others. That's the deal with getting together. It's the deal with meeting each other, family together, to encourage others. Sometimes we might think, I could do with some me time today, or I could do with a lion. Maybe we can all do with more sleep, that's another matter. But there's someone who really needs your encouragement. So that's why we show up. And that encouragement might simply be you asking a question. It might simply be you saying, Jesus is going to come back. <laughs> it might be you praying for them. Simple. It's very simple. But this is our ministry to each other. What, what adrenaline does to the body, encouragement does to the soul. Any of you ever had an adrenaline rush before? I think of a time where, a few years ago, uh, we were holidaying in London and... Um, we went to the, the History Museum and uh, we lost one of our children. And uh, she kind of is someone who's just wowed by you know, different things. And we just, we lost one of our children. And at the time, she was probably about seven years old. And um, as soon as we worked out we'd lost her, I turned into the Hulk, right? The adrenaline came over me and I can't describe what happened to me, but I did not care what happened to the people around me. I was using my shoulders and getting through the crowd in order to find my daughter. Adrenaline kind of uh, took over and I kind of went into this kind of superhuman being for a little while until I found my daughter. And the rest of the week we were holding hands very tightly and dressing them up in bright clothes. <laughs> but listen, what, what adrenaline does for the body, encouragement does for the soul. And there are weary people all around us. And we can be encouragers. And who knows what potential there might be in this room that could be unleashed if encouragement is brought at a timely, in a timely manner. Just like there was potential in me, to, a not very muscly man, to suddenly be the Hulk and bunch people out of the way to get to my daughter. There's potential in this room. There's potential in this room for much kingdom advance. What might encouragement do in this time? Encouragement, the word encouragement in the Greek literally means to come alongside of and stir up, to call up, to call out. It's like the speeches of great military leaders who come alongside their troops and urge them into battle. That's what encouragement is. Let me finish with these verses. Let's, um, let's stand together. We're going we're gonna to respond to God together. Um, if we want to, maybe John, can we open the window? It's quite, I don't, I'm feeling quite warm. I don't know if everyone else is, but... Let me finish with these verses, guys. We're going to be pressing into these uh, more, or certainly the subject of these more in the next sessions. But this is what Paul, how Paul finishes in First Thessalonians. He says, "Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you 
in Christ Jesus. We're going to do a lot of praying in these days. We're going to call out to God together. We're going to petition him together. We're going to thank him together. There's so much we can, we can pray to him about. But I, I just felt really that the thrust of this, I, I felt there was someone who just really needed some encouragement. You really needed to see Jesus uh, as he's seen in victory in the book of Revelation. You, you, you needed to have that reminder. I felt there was some, some candle wicks, as it were, that were, were almost totally suffocated of, of, of oxygen. And you're almost, you're almost at the point of, I'm, I think it's going to be snuffed out soon. And you know, Jesus wants to minister to you even now. He wants to strengthen you. He wants to blow upon you.